Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. It's so good to be with you today. I had been actually lined up for a different topic in a couple of weeks' time, but for a few reasons I was asked to switch. I was like, yeah, no problems, I'm the newbie, I'm pretty flexible, of course we can swap, no drama. Then I checked the topic for the week that I'd accepted, self-denial and taking up your cross. Ouch! Nice light topic then for switching into. It's actually been a particularly challenging message to prepare in light of the pandemic. With all the uncertainty, restrictions, division, and disappointments that we've all been through. Often the messaging we've received has been one of encouragement, of making sure we're looking after us. This has been and still is a much needed message, and I want to make that clear from the start. But today, we're going to look at some of Jesus' most challenging words. It's not going to be easy. As I said, it's not been easy to write. But let's be open to what God wants to do in us individually and collectively. I'm excited. So today's message is titled Self-Denial in the Age of Self-Fulfillment. And as a millennial, I consider myself an expert in self-fulfillment. Apparently, us millennials are also known as the Peter Pan generation because we never grow up, and the selfie generation because, of course, we came of age through the selfie explosion. Statistically, narcissism, excessive interest in one's own image or needs, is on the rise. Although the self-obsession didn't start with us. Baby boomers, you don't get away with it. You're also known as the me generation. And I think now, regardless of our generation, it's clear that we live in a culture of self-fulfillment. All of us live in that. We have an absolutely booming self-help industry, a culture of self-expression on our social media, growing numbers of people moving to self-employment for more flexibility, and even, dare I say it, we may be a little obsessed with self-care. It's got to the point that you can take more or less any word, put it after self, and you'll create the next trend. Except denial. Self-denial won't sell many books. In a world where we are literally bombarded with messages telling us we need to be living our best lives, self-denial is radically countercultural and exceptionally difficult. We pick up our passage for today in Matthew 16, verses 21 to 25. It comes as what many many scholars argue is a key turning point in Jesus' ministry. The turning point happens in the previous passage where Peter confesses Christ. It's as though Jesus is like, okay, you finally get it. I'm the son of God. Well done. Now, this is why I've come. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, 
take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Can we firstly talk about Peter? He's just had his epic highlight reel moment, correctly identifying Jesus, who then tells him he is the rock on which the church will be built. He must have been buzzing, maybe a little bit overconfident. So when Jesus tells the disciples in plain terms that he must die, Peter steps in and rebukes him. Can you imagine it? Jesus, let me just stop you there for a minute. Can, can we have a word? Listen to me, you're the son of God. I'm telling you, this won't happen to you. You won't die. And we know what happens next. Jesus blasts him, rebuking him with the same response he gave to the devil himself in the desert. Get behind me, Satan. Harsh words. Peter goes from a rock of the church to a stumbling block for Jesus in five verses. His strength and conviction, which would later go on to make him the leader of the early church, were now a hindrance to Jesus because he couldn't comprehend that Jesus needed to go to the cross. We can highlight Peter and laugh at his epic failure, but the reality is I think we all do the same thing to ourselves and at times to others. Accustomed to the comforts of the North Shore, we question whether Jesus would really call us to die to self or sacrifice much. And I believe we can be a stumbling block to our fellow believers by subtly talking them out of going all in for Jesus. I've been guilty of doing this and I've seen it done. Indirectly, we say, Jesus wouldn't call you to do that or give that up. Oftentimes, this is well-intentioned. But if we're honest, sometimes we do this because we think if those around us get more serious about their faith, then we'll have to as well. If they start fasting, I'll feel like I have to too. If they start getting up an hour early to spend time with Jesus, I'll have to think about my morning routine. So what do we do? We talk each other out of it. We lower the bar for each other and create a comfortable culture where no one is too extreme. And if they are, we'll label them the spiritual ones or the hard outs. Perhaps it's part of our New Zealand culture, a sort of spiritual tall poppy syndrome. We don't necessarily want to cut these people down, but we put them up here on a pedestal so that we're not required to live like them. Hear Francis Chan's words on this. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all his followers. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all his followers. We love to talk about iron sharpening iron in the church, but are we sharpening each other or softening each other? As we move back to the passage, Jesus' words here shatter comfortable Christianity. And he knew they would. This is a guaranteed crowd disperser, a church shrinker. So after putting Peter straight, he turns to the rest of them as if to say, all of you guys need to hear this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. The first part of the verse shows how universal the application is. Whoever wants to be my disciple or apprentice, as we've used in this series, must. It's not might, it's must. Self-denial and carrying one's cross is not a short straw just drawn by a few unlucky disciples. It's a condition of discipleship for all. 
You want to be reset? Dying to self is not an optional extra. In fact, none of the rest of the series will have any effect on your discipleship if you're not prepared to surrender your whole life to Jesus. We'll break down the second half of the verse into three points, which we'll focus on for the rest of our time. Self-denial, taking up our cross, and following Him. How are we going? I said it was going to be challenging. Stay in there. So what does it mean to deny ourselves? Or to die to self, as some call it? It means to fully surrender our inbuilt selfish will to God. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at partial surrender, keeping parts of myself back from God. Apparently, when the Knights Templar used to be baptized, they would go under the water, but they'd hold their sword out of the water. The idea being that they were submitting everything to God, except what they did with their swords, that they held on to. As we know, baptism is a picture of death and new life, participating in Jesus' death as we go under the water, being raised to new life as we come out of the water. In holding their swords out of the water, the knights were unwilling to let them die. I don't know if this is a true uh, history or not, but it's a helpful picture because I think we all want to keep things out of the water. We all want to hold on to something and keep it safe from dying to self. It might be our phones, our wallets, a relationship that we know doesn't honor God, or our reputation. We say, God, you can have all of me, except this bit here. What are you not prepared to die at the cross? Self-denial also means countering the individualistic, live your best life narrative that we talked about earlier. In his New York Times bestseller, Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller says, the most difficult lie I've ever contended with is this. Life is a story about me. I resonate with this point so much because this is what we're told. You're writing the story of your life. Make it one worth reading. You're writing the story of your life. Don't let anyone else hold your pen. Does that sound familiar? It's actually hard to write this because it's so culturally pervasive and most of us barely even question it anymore. We, we've swallowed this cultural mandate. But as long as we see life as a self-directed movie about us, we'll see other people as support cast or extras, and we see anything else outside of our plot, like suffering or discomfort, as unwelcome interruptions in our best life. Self-denial means accepting that life does not revolve around me. And accepting this can bring extraordinary freedom. We no longer need to curate the perfect life and protect our reputation and ego. If we've died to self, we don't need to take offense at every overlook or anxiously worry what others think of us. I know I would love to walk around with such freedom. In our age of anxiety and comparison, true Christian self-denial is actually foundational to self-care and self-care that flows out to others as we live freely and gently as, as a non-anxious presence in a world that desperately needs such people. So point one is that Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, which means surrendering our whole lives to him and accepting that life does not revolve around us. If self-denial wasn't hard enough, the second part of Jesus' apprentice position description is taking up our crosses. What does it mean to take up our cross? 
Living almost 2,000 years post-resurrection, it's difficult for us to imagine the brutality of the crucifixion. The cross has in many ways become a nice comforting symbol that we can wear on our bodies as jewelry or ink or add to our social media bios. And I'm not saying that's wrong. The empty cross is absolutely a symbol of hope. But do we spend enough time contemplating the cost of the cross, the suffering of Christ, the anticipation of which was so agonizingly painful that it brought the very Son of God to his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, asking God three times if there was another way. Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Friends, the cup of suffering wasn't taken away from Jesus, and it won't be taken away from us other. Jesus asked his disciples, and I believe he's asking us today, can you drink the cup I drink, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Are we prepared to drink from that cup of suffering? Are we prepared to be baptized into his death? Are we prepared to get up each morning and carry our cross? This is something I have and I am wrestling with. As Keely and I continue to navigate a very different season of life, Following my move into ministry, we have cried and prayed together about this. I thought this is what you wanted me to do, God. Why is it so difficult? We've sacrificed, we've followed your voice. It wasn't meant to feel like this. And I know there are many others among you asking the same questions. People in our community who pour themselves out for others and who often see little fruit. Youth leaders who sacrifice their time for their young people. Generous, generous people for whom things are getting tighter as they continue to forfeit their own comfort for this, to support the church. Parents who daily carry a burden of prayer for their children to come home to Christ. Foster parents who lay down their own freedoms to give others a loving home. Have you ever asked Jesus, why does it have to be so hard? I, I know I have. But the truth is, it wasn't meant to be easy. There is no comfortable or convenient cross. If you're in a similar place, my encouragement to you is simply keep going. Keep going. This is what it means to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And taking up our crosses is an ongoing journey. We know that because Luke's gospel adds one word, daily. As I give this message, I'm very aware that many of you have been walking with the Lord far longer than I have. You've lived this faithfully through the years. But can I gently ask, from a spirit of love and humility, what does it mean to continue to take up your cross daily? Maybe 30, 40, 50 years after you initially came to Christ. Luke adds the word daily for a reason to show that Jesus calls us to carry our cross throughout our lifetimes. It was beautiful to hear from Carol a few weeks ago about how she came to faith. To see the passion for Christ still burning was so obvious and to celebrate her 97th birthday soon after. When our young people see and hear stories like this of the older generations who have selfless faith, it inspires them. And young people, if there's someone in our community who inspires you, ask them what it means to carry the cross daily. The point is we don't carry our crosses alone. We have a community 
online in person to support us as we undergo the inevitable suffering and pain that we all experience. And we have the Holy Spirit to empower us, as Grant talked about last week. We also have the perfect example to follow. The final part of Jesus' challenging call to discipleship is to follow him. I love this because it means that we're not, charting un we're not traveling uncharted territory. We're not guinea pigs in, in an experiment where the outcome is uncertain. Jesus is not a leader who stays safe at base camp while ordering others to the front lines. Now Jesus is there. Jesus can tell us to follow him because this is the exact path that he took. In the garden, faced with the agony of what was before him, Jesus surrenders his will to the Father in the ultimate demonstration of self-denial. Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, let your will be done. As it says in Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We know that for Jesus, it doesn't end with death. And it's the same for us. The end goal is not death to self, it's new life in Christ in this life and the next. There is a joy set before you, friend. As Jesus says in this passage, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is the beautiful paradox at the center of the Christian faith. We're going to finish in just a moment by singing or by listening to a song called The Wonderful Cross. The chorus goes like this. Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Before we do that, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just to reflect on what the Spirit is saying to you. Like the Knights Templar, is there something you have been keeping out of the water? I'm willing to let that part die. Or have you, like Peter, accidentally been a stumbling block to others, lowering the bar and trying to avoid the cost of true discipleship? Perhaps you've never fully submitted your life to Jesus and you feel him calling you to the cross today. Listen to him. Or perhaps you are carrying your cross and it's just gotten so hard. I feel that. We're with you. It's okay. You don't need to pretend that it's easy because it's not. Let us pray for perseverance and the empowering of the Holy Spirit as we look to Jesus, our perfect example. So I'll close and pray, and then we'll listen to the wonderful cross together. Father God, we love you. And we confess that we often make things all about us. Like Peter, we do not have in mind the concerns of God, but the concerns of man. Forgive us for seeing you as a means to achieve what we want, rather than surrendering our lives to you. Where we grasp for control, Lord, help us to let go and trust you. Help us not to avoid or deny our suffering, but to embrace it as a pathway to peace and part of discipleship. Fix our eyes on you again, Jesus, who emptied yourself for us. Holy Spirit, would you convict each of us of what we need to let die, so that we might know more of your resurrection life in us today.
In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.